This episode is sponsored by the Environmental Working Group, or EWG. EWG's mission is to empower people to live healthier lives in a healthier environment. With breakthrough research and education, EWG drives consumer choice and civic action. From households to Capitol Hill, EWG's team of scientists, policy experts, lawyers, communication experts, and programmers has worked tirelessly to make sure someone is standing up for public health when government and industry won't. Through their reports, online databases, mobile apps, and communications campaigns, EWG has pressured companies to give up potentially dangerous chemical ingredients in their products. Learn more at EWG.org. On this episode, we have Ashley Ray. Ashley began her career in journalism and changed the trajectory of her life's work on a trip where she was introduced to the art of malas, which are beads used in meditation. That gave birth to her company, Mala Collective, which now partners with the likes of Goop and Ted, the producers of TED Talks. She's an avid hiker bound for the far reaches of the globe to explore and recharge while in isolation. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very grateful to be here. Thanks, Asim. Absolutely my pleasure. Um, Ashley, if we can go back to um, when you were a student and you were thinking about career choices, um, share with us what led to the decision to go into uh, broadcast journalism, because I know that's where you started out. Mm. So I've, I was ever since as a child, I wanted to be a journalist and I pivoted between wanting to work you know, on the red carpet, wanting to go be a war reporter, just the, the extremes. I wanted to experience every experience of journalism and storytelling. And I ended up doing uh, print TV and radio, which was such a beautiful experience to see all three mediums of storytelling and interaction and how to share the stories of others in really beautiful, loving ways that landed for them and, and for others. And so I, I moved out to a small town in the country and became uh, an arts and entertainment editor. And then I also started covering murder trials. So it definitely uh, ran the gamut. I had very different days every day of the week when I became a journalist. That's amazing. Um, and you were born in Vancouver? That's right, yeah. And so where was this town that you went to? Well, I, I actually studied just outside of Vancouver, then I moved to England, and I was a journalist in the UK. And then I applied for every job across Western Canada, and I got a small, small town job, this little farming town. So I moved from England to this really adorable farming town, which I I absolutely love. I spent five years there. It's known for corn. So there's lots of corn fields everywhere and mountains and lakes. It's, it's stunning, uh, but also a busy hub. So I was, um, you know, writing all day on my lunch breaks, going and recording the TV newscast and then in the evenings doing radio. So I was, I was incredibly lucky to, to be able to do all those things there. Wow, amazing. Um, what took you to England? I received a scholarship to study. So I went to study international relations and journalism. So that was more uh, down the path of wanting to do war reporting and international development, international relations, but really curious around communicating um, between 
countries and working in the developing world and, and storytelling from those angles. That's great. Um, this idea of storytelling, I know that it really um, motivates and, and drives you. Um, what do you think it was um, growing up that uh, kind of inspired that? Ooh, I would say just curiosity. Um, I was always a very curious kid, and I think being led by curiosity, I got paid to be curious as a journalist. Like it was the greatest thing. It was the greatest gift ever. And I would say curiosity, you know, I often reflect on that transition from journalism to entrepreneurship. What other qualities that have served me? And I would say it's that is, is curiosity. So, you know, I think that the idea of being able to ask questions and share stories um, and always having a different day each day of the week was really invigorating and exciting to me. And again, journalism and entrepreneurship, I could describe the same way in that capacity. That's so fantastic. Um, when you went to this small town in Canada, and I love the way you describe it with this sense of um, uh, nostalgia, but also this, it, it moved you. Um, and I know, and this will come up later in the conversation that um, you often, um, go into these places of uh i don't want to say isolation because it has a negative connotation but you you take time for yourself you kind of give yourself that space that, that quiet time um was that the experience that kind of um highlighted or, or uh, turned you on to this idea or, or, or had you crave it mm. i think i i always craved exploration and new experiences and new places and the idea of isolation you know i'm alone in a cabin in the woods in the mountains right now three hours from a town uh, and i adore that silence i adore the perspective of getting out of the hustle and i do that through other ways too so every year i go to uh, nepal or you know somewhere usually in the himalayas to go hiking for a week and that gives me a very different experience of perspective and of silence that I can be in my body and out of my head. So I do like to push myself into uncomfortable situations that are still safe, that I can really reflect and be with myself and dream and goal set and vision and uh, get out of the hustle of the day to day. I feel like it's really important for me to reground that way. So it's not only an exploration of new areas and geographies, it's also an internal exploration. Absolutely. I would say that my my yearly hikes uh, are my gift to myself, whether I want to or not, because I, I notice a lot of resistance comes up before I go. Who wants to go spend 10 days in Nepal in the freezing, you know, sleeping in these huts and you wake up and your water bottle's frozen? Like it doesn't sound like a holiday. And yeah, I, I love it. But the resistance comes up right before I leave. And then as soon as I get there, I'm always in deep gratitude of, oh, this walking meditation or these mountains are so much bigger than me. And my problems are so small and so irrelevant. So I would say that the, the power of nature, the power of being in movement in my body and the power of connecting with new people that I never would have met just everything it's such an inspiring experience when was the first year that you did one of these uh gifts to mm. yourself? 
say maybe it was four years ago. So I've, that was a hike in Bhutan. Uh, Bhutan is spectacular. It's between Tibet and Nepal. And then I hiked Everspace Camp the year after, then Annapurna, both of those in Nepal. And then this past year I hiked in Japan. Uh, and then this fall I'll be hiking in Patagonia. So it's, it's also a beautiful way to see the world and see little slivers of the earth that I never would have seen otherwise. Um, this is slightly out of sync, but it's, I want to just flow with it. Um, and uh, we'll get back to um, the yeah. shift from journalism to, to becoming an entrepreneur. But um, these hikes that you've taken, um, mm -hmm. how do you choose your destination? Ooh, that's a great question. So the first hike, this, it actually was inspired because I used to be married and when my partner and I split, my commitment to myself was every year I would go away alone to get to know myself better. So that's what sparked it along with all of these other experiences. Now I realize it's a really deep meditation and I really value this, this time to myself. The first year I was researching pictures around the world of different hikes and different trails. It's actually quite overwhelming when you have nothing, when we have so much choice and opportunity. I think most people think that they want that, but it can be incredibly debilitating or overwhelming because there's so much choice. You don't know where to start. Absolutely. And I was, yes, it, it can be overwhelming. And so I was researching pictures and images around the world and I saw a picture of Tiger's Nest, this really beautiful temple that hangs off the mountain in Bhutan and I just started weeping. And that was an incredibly visceral reaction that I hadn't had before. So I, wow. I just thought, okay, well, I'm probably meant to go there. So I booked it. What, what do you think it was? Was uh, just, what, what resonated with you? I think that I've always been really curious and interested in the culture and the tradition and the religions and the spirituality across Asia. And very specifically, very specifically the Himalayas, Tibet, Nepal, Bhutan. I, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. Well, I've always been deeply connected to it though. It feels like um, that emotional response you had from the Bhutan image. It's like you were really seeking something for mm. a while and you found it. And that's what led to that emotional outpouring. I mean, it feels amazing. It's, a, 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 it's super cathartic, I imagine. Um, mm. I'm a bit envious as well, because <laughs> I've never had such an experience. So, uh, but I'm thrilled that, that you had that. Thank you, yeah. It's, looking back on it now, I, I think it is a pretty, I, I very much, I trust my gut. I trust the reactions that come up and I listen to, the feelings and you know whatever happens in my body when I see something I'm like okay that's that's probably meant to be and there is a lot of trust and there is a lot of letting go and it doesn't make it less scary I definitely was very nervous just getting on a plane and going to Bhutan you know 10 days later and and that all the, the serendipity of that experience it's quite hard to get to Bhutan it's expensive you have to get a visa quite a few months in advance I think it all came together within seven to ten days it was an absolute, the whole thing was just this miracle that was meant to be. And it was just fantastic. And I met the most incredible humans who I still speak with today. And that was four years ago. And it's just, people I never would have been able to meet otherwise. And it's, it's beautiful.
I love that. That's so fantastic. I have to say, Ashley, it feels like this is more than just isolation and introspection. Like you are setting out to accomplish something. Mm. Yeah, I think that there is something when I was reflecting on why that was my choice, you know, I think a lot of us look forward to taking a holiday and a lot of people prefer the beach, prefer, you know, inclusive holidays. And that, that for me doesn't interest me because I know that I will get bored pretty quick. Um, I, I like a challenge and I like to be able to challenge myself physically, mentally, and emotionally. But also I think there's something so beautiful about getting really uncomfortable and going to new places that maybe aren't as um, revered as a holiday destination. I don't know. I just, I, I had a, a teacher, a meditation teacher in India who reflected to me that I find joy and struggle versus joy and ease. And so I've always found that quite curious of how do I allow ease in more and ask for help or just find joy in things that happen serendipitously and simply and instead of really needing to push resistance or or struggle for eight days on a really difficult hike to find happiness so I'm, I'm trying to balance both I find joy and struggle and I'm learning to find more joy and ease so I would say there's many many layers to the exploration of the of hiking for me well it almost feels like there's a symmetry that you pursue like the physical exertion and that effort and that attainable goal you mirror with your internal work. And I, I think that's mm. phenomenal. I also just wanted to go somewhere with no Wi-Fi, and I would say the Himalayas is a pretty <laughs> solid location <laughs> to get away from work for a week. <laughs> but funnily enough, I could still, I remember running payroll three days away from base camp, so I wasn't completely out of it. But yeah, um, yeah. Ashley, when was the first time you meditated? Ooh. That is such a great question. Okay, I can, I can speak to that with the first time I intentionally sat down doing what I thought meditation was. Um, and it was very, this is not a typical first experience, but I was in Bali at the house of the high priest of Indonesia. Very intimidating experience. And I was sitting on a marble floor with maybe 150 other Balinese. And we had to just sit there in silence. And I remember closing my eyes, maybe it was five minutes, maybe it was seven minutes, and thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. And, and I think I thought it was like an hour, but it really had only been about five minutes. And I opened my eyes, I was like, oh my God, I have to do this for another hour, hour and a half? Like it was a really long sit. And so that was the moment, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Uh, and then it got me, the word curious again keeps coming up got me curious about like, is this what meditation is meant to be? Is this, is this what it is when people say I'm meditating? Uh, what if I can't sit here for an hour and a half on a marble floor and without getting distracted? What if my mind wanders? What if my leg falls asleep? You know, and, and all these thoughts came up around comparison of, oh, I bet that person beside me is totally Zen right now and totally chilled out. Who knows what they're going through? But I was, I was in such a place of unknown and that, that that experience for me really sparked a deep dive and an exploration into what is meditation? How do people meditate? What are different forms of it? And is there a right and a wrong way to meditate? And 
I'm really of the belief I don't like saying there is a right or a wrong way. There's different tools and practices and habits and routines and tips, but I, I'm pretty um, open to all different experiences of meditation because everyone's experience can be so different and unique. So that, that was an extreme, my first one. That is such a great share. Thank you. Um, now, having done it for so long and uh, developed um, your own sort of, uh, I guess you could say rhythm for it or you know, knowing how to go about it, um, what does meditation mean for you? Hmm. I would say meditation has really first off, it's completely transformed my life, you know, going from covering murder trials to working in meditation, my life has done a complete 180. So the meaning behind it is, I have never thought about this before. I would say just deep transformation. It's transformed my life. It's transformed my mindset. It's transformed my, my mind, my heart, my body, every, every aspect of my life, my friendships, but the, the way that it looks for me is often different. I do have a pretty, I don't want to say the word strict, but a very dedicated morning routine that I, I deeply love. And it starts the gratitude practice, journaling and some meditating. And not every morning do I want to be meditating. There's mornings when I'm sitting there and I'll have the most beautiful practice. And there's mornings where I'm sitting there going, I don't want to be doing this right now. And, and that's okay. And that's normal. And that's, the real experience of it. I think it would be incredibly inauthentic of me to say I meditate every single day at the same time, in the same place. And every day I'm in, I've found a new discovery about myself. Like that's not, that's not the real experience. I don't, some days I forget. Some days I don't do it. Other days I go on really long walking meditations. Some days, you know, I'll find that practice in a yoga class. Someday I'll find, you know, I find it in different experiences my favorite way to meditate is with my mala sitting on my cushion, which is a pretty, I guess I could say traditional way. Um, what I would envision a meditation practice looks like, but I, I really do embrace many different forms of, of practice. That was a fantastic share. Thank you for that. I appreciate the authenticity um, mm -hmm. and uh, being honest about uh, the experience. And I was just marveling that you went from that experience in Bali to now filming guided meditations that uh, so many people are watching. Mm, thank you. You know, I haven't thought about that experience in Bali for a really long time. So that's, it is really funny to put myself back in the beginner's mindset of what was this like? How nervous and intimidated was I the first time I tried this? And then how to, how to hold space for that person who's just starting and open and wants to learn and they're curious and they're trying to connect with themselves. So I, I do, I appreciate that reflection. Actually, it's nice to go back to that beginning state of mind again. Now, were you in Indonesia on a uh, journalism assignment? No, so we actually, this kind of leads into how Mala started, if you'd like me to I would to love that. it, exactly yeah. where I wanted to go. Beautiful, okay, so I had won a national award in journalism, and my partner at the time was running a company, I think maybe we were 23, 24, and we kind of reached this, I want to say peak, but when we were in our 20s, we thought we reached a peak of life where we thought, oh, this is what we dreamed of, this is what we wanted, 
now what now what do we do and so we quit our jobs and we went traveling i was very interested in seeing as much of the world as possible and we ended up in bali and we fell in love with these mala beads so these like it's like a, a rosary but it's like a gemstone prayer beads and we kept buying them for friends and for family and we were flying from Bali to Thailand and this woman came up to us and said, your aura is so beautiful. Can I sit and talk to you? And long story short, she ended up being the woman who made the jewelry that we had bought. So very serendipitous, very, I, I don't even know other words, the synchronicity of the universe is just hilarious and beautiful and wonderful. And I would say Bali, Bali will always have a really deep place in my heart and in my life. And while that movie or that, that story, it sounds like a movie and it's very romantic and it's beautiful. That was then followed by like nine years of extreme hustle and unknown of business ups and downs and HR and profit and law statements, you know, all of the unromantic side of things. But that moment that created this change of path is it is quite actually very spectacular and beautiful. Uh, so I'm forever grateful for that moment of, you know, leaping in with, with trust and just, okay, thanks universe. This is awesome. You must've put this person here for a reason. So let's go with it. That is so great. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, that really just, that gave me a chill. <laughs> um, the synchronicity of that. So, um, you were in love with these beads and you were buying them for friends and family. And um, at what point did you decide, wow, I'm going to create a business around doing this? Yeah, I would say like eight months, nine, or nine, 10 months later. And I don't even know if the intention was business. The, I didn't really know what an entrepreneur was. They're definitely, entrepreneurship is a very cool job now nine years ago i don't know if it was as romanticized as it is now um i knew journalism i didn't know anything but journalism and matt knew carpentry so we weren't seeking an entrepreneurial path we just met this beautiful woman and thought you know her guru's message was get these beads to the west they embody peace the more the world wears them the more the world will be at peace and the west needs peace the most we thought well we're from the west and we dig peace, so we'll just help you. So that was that was maybe our business plan was let's just help her spread peace, <laughs> uh, which is hilariously naive and adorable. And I, I appreciate all those things now, but never with the intention of I bet we could make money off of this. I bet we could make this into a business. And in fact, in the beginning, we felt really bad for charging money for these things. We thought, how dare we make money off of somebody else's spiritual experience uh so we really struggled with the business aspect for quite a while in the beginning well it's um you know exchange is important and value exchange mm -hmm. is important and we hold those things dear that require us um to to I mean, to pay for it seems like it's debasing it, but there's energy that was required to have the money to be able to pay for it. And it's that energy exchange, doing something that is valued in the world and then getting receiving something of value from the world. Um, that's meaningful and significant. And, and I think as humans, we 
are oriented around that way to value those things more because mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, that took a few years to to figure that one out. Um, definitely was giving things away for free to anybody who had a beautiful story. And everybody has a beautiful story. So that, you know, I had to really put some guidelines around that one. And I and I do recall the moment that I thought, you know, just get over get over yourself. There's if we don't thrive, then this business doesn't thrive. And if this business doesn't thrive, we can't employ these artisans. We can't share this experience with people that are looking for it. So maybe you should remove that fear around charging and let other people experience this beautiful medium. So it, it took a while to get there. And at that time, I didn't have peers and mentors I could speak with about business because we really were doing this out of Matt's parents' basement suite. And I was still working full time as a journalist, went back to carpentry. Like, you know, this was just a fun thing. We were just helping out, helping out on this side. It was never the intention of growing it into a, into what it is now. Amazing. Um, and I appreciate that thoughtful share and discussion about um, pricing and, and, and mm. uh, profitability, because I think it's uh, people who are in uh, a similar arena um, in the wellness space um, grapple with that. And um, so I think it's, uh, it's important. We, the, the right way to approach it is we, we discuss, we talk about it, put energy towards doing that. And so that everyone can feel comfortable about what's happening. Yeah. Um, so I know that you have a very thoughtful, uh, supply chain. You mm -hmm. travel to Indonesia and India regularly. You ensure that your suppliers are following, uh, the, the, the practices that you believe in. Um, walk us through all that because I think it's, mm -hmm. it's great to highlight. And, uh, I'm just, yeah. I've always admired your energy and thoughtfulness around that. Oh, thank you. Um, I do feel incredibly grateful that I get to go to places like Bali and India and Nepal for work. It's an absolute dream. I'm very, very grateful. Uh, so for us, a, a big part of what we're doing is, you know, we didn't invent or create any of these products. We're helping people to bring them into their lives now. And maybe that means redesigning it into something that's really aesthetically beautiful. So you'll want to wear or have it in your home. So I'd say that the one of our core values is beauty is making a product that people will be proud of. Because if you have a meditation cushion, but you hide it, is it going to inspire you to take a breath every day? Probably not. You probably want something that you're going to see all the time. Uh, and same with the beads. It, you know, if we're going to have something on our body, I would like to know that it's a real stone. It's not dyed and that people made this with love using traditions and practices uh, that have been long used in these in the creation of these things. So, uh, our malas, for example, they're all real gemstones. They're all hand knotted between each bead. And that is so that you can slowly turn each bead with each breath. So that's a very traditional way of making it. The gemstones is, you know, a lot of people believe that the different stones carry different healing qualities or whatever, whatever you, however you want to call it, however hippie you want to get about it. Uh, they inspire different intentions. Um, and then the cushions you know, making sure everything's recycled cotton and we make these beautiful chimney cushions. It's strips of overrun of cotton that are stitched together and filled with recycled cotton. Like I just, I love every, everything about that. I feel so proud of. And the people that we work with, I go and meet them every year. 
because it is important. You want to know people are creating this with love and with pride and with positive energy. So the entire creation process to me is something I'm so keenly interested in and in love with and proud of and makes me even more proud to see people wearing these things and having them in their home that like, okay, I know where this has come from. I understand the intention and it's beautiful enough to have it out. So it's this attempt at merging tradition and authenticity and beauty. And I feel like, I feel like we're doing it. And I feel incredibly proud every time I see something come to life and come to fruition from, you know, a drawing or a sketch to seeing it in real life. It's actually incredibly humbling and it's super inspiring. That's so great. Thank you for that. Um, and yeah, I just say, I have to say very inspiring, the thoughtfulness, the care that you put in and, um, you know, and, and I kind of framed it as you're ensuring that it um, stays true to the virtues of your brand. Um, but I love the way you described it, where you want to interact with the people who are making the product you're selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important to just know this is a natural material from the earth and the human being made it and it's meant to inspire you. And there's I don't know, I could get a little bit woo-woo, but I do believe in the whole, um, just the, I know the word authenticity has lost so much weight because it's used so often, but um, I do find that that's a really powerful intention for us is making sure everything's truly authentic. No, it, um, we can adopt the word purist. You're mm. a purist. <laughs> that's a great word. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, it's uh, it's just, uh, just admirable that um, you put that energy and effort towards it. I've always been uh, impressed with that. So kudos. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, it's really not the worst thing is, you know, Bali is not the worst place in the world to go. I'm incredibly lucky that I get to go to this very beautifully inspiring um, feminine spiritual island. Uh, so every time I go, it definitely inspires the heck out of me. So that's pretty cool too. I can't really complain about that. You know, it's, um, I absolutely love Bali. It's probably one of my favorite places on the planet. So much so that my kids will incessantly tease me. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, even just they'll, they'll integrate it in our day-to-day -day banter. Um, mm. They'll say, daddy, can we go to Cheesecake Factory? And I'll say, I don't want to go there. And they'll tease me. Where do you want to go, Daddy? You want to go to Bali? <laughs> <laughs> Just a hop, skip, and then jump away. <laughs> but, the natural response is yes, yes, I do. Pack your bag. Yes. We're going. Yes. <laughs> you know, it is pretty cool when you look at. I really, I have such a deep fascination with the world and with traveling and how how expansive the planet is and how many beautiful places there are to see. That when I look at a map of the world and I see how tiny the little dot Bali is on the map, I think, whoa, that's that little dot, that little island has completely changed my life. Uh, it's incredibly powerful to think about all the other places in the world and um, the people that live there and the power that just every experience that is awaiting us to be had, I feel very obviously very curious, but um, it pulls me to travel a lot. So I'm looking forward to jumping on the plane again when it's safe to do so. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, um, but I, it, from our earlier conversation, you kind of straddle this so well that, um, you know, it, it's, uh, <laughs> you're kind of living at the peaks and valleys, if this were a graph. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are in that, uh, you know, they're closer to that mer the middle line there of, um, uh, but but you you enjoy going to very exotic locations and interacting with people and being surrounded by them, and 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 you do it with such grace and a plum. It's it's, it's a wonder. Uh, but then you also enjoy being uh, all to yourself in very <laughs> yeah. places. Um, very impressed with that. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm coming to terms with. I'm actually a bit more of an introvert than I realized. And I really enjoy time alone. I really value it. And I think there's this really beautiful quote uh, that all of man's problems arise from his inability to sit with himself or to sit with his thoughts. I, I'm, I've probably misquoted that a bit, but I've, I've always been curious. I really like being alone and I like sitting alone. And I think that's where meditation can become so intimidating is people don't want to sit with themselves and they often want distractions. So I am aware I toggle between the two, but I deeply crave time alone and I deeply crave new uncomfortable places and challenges and, you know, the whole gamut. I feel like I would be robbing myself of an experience if I didn't push myself to see and explore as much as possible. That's that's fantastic. Um, I love the way you framed that. That's so well done. Um, well, um, you've had, it's been nine years. You've had a number of years of um, success uh, and of course, hardships as well, which you've um, touched upon. Uh, but let's talk about the, some of these new exciting opportunities that are in front of you. I know that you were recently in LA for uh, a Goop event. And then now you've got this great relationship with Ted. So uh, share about those, please. Yeah, so we, what I've noticed in the past nine years as the, um, idealization, a, a too big of a word, entrepreneurship has become, you know, lifted up and glamorized. I'm not even sure the right words for, for that, but I would say meditation and mindfulness has also uh, really expanded and demystified might be a really a good word there but understanding that meditation is not just for hippies and it's you know you're not going to levitate when you're sitting in, in in your practice that it's more mainstream and people are really curious about it which is so cool because now we have these experiences like you know going to do an event with Gwen Paltrow in LA or you know now I'm recording meditations for TED to help them find mindfulness between their sessions um, we're also working on a lot of giving back and educate education to the community. So working on, okay, if we're, we're all at home right now, how do we bring mindfulness and meditation into our day to day? And I feel that all of these opportunities are helping us step into our values. And I would say the past few years has really been building up the business and understanding how we communicate. And I would say now our focus really is community and really uplifting people and educating them and not not just having the exchange of a product you know not just having a cash exchange but being able to support somebody on their journey so I've noticed that as we've really leaned into that experience that a lot of beautiful opportunities have come up so we're really exploring that 
with you know a children's line with exploring lower price point lines for Amazon. I'm writing a book right now. So we're really looking at how do we reach people where they are right now and educate them with what they need and provide beautiful products. And I've, I'm quite explicit. You actually don't need anything that we make to meditate. You don't need to buy anything from us. You can sit in meditation on your couch and just close your eyes and use your breath. But if these pieces inspire you, then that's, that's great uh, as well. So I've noticed even just shifting away from pushing sales like it's just a more human connecting experience which has opened so many beautiful doors for us um and i i think it might look like it's all happened in the past like year but it's you know that overnight nine-year success story so it's taken uh, some time but yeah it's been a pretty cool journey so i'm grateful for all of the doors opening right now and people are clearly looking for mindfulness and meditation more than ever before so i'm grateful we can be here that's so fantastic. And I love the way you framed it. Um, you don't need our, our product. Um, that's, um, that's coming from a, a really genuine place. And I think that resonates with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's no doubt those experiences um, of those nine years, that's what leads to this and, and your ability to, uh, to capitalize and take you know, advantage of these opportunities. It's, it's all a result of that, that hard work. And I mean, you, you probably know this anecdote about Pablo Picasso who did a drawing on a napkin in a restaurant and the neighboring table observed it and he just shoved it in his pocket like he didn't care. And the neighboring table asked the woman there, can I, can I have that from you? And he said, sure, but it'll be 20,000 euros. And she said, it only took you five minutes to draw that. And he said, it took me 40 years to be able to draw that in five minutes. I love that. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I think that there is something to be said. I think in the human experience, we don't often look back at what got us here. I know, for, I guess I can just speak from my experience is that I'm usually, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next? And I've noticed in the past few months, past six months or a year, I've been really reflecting on every experience has gotten me to this point. Uh, and that it is a very feminine trait to chalk things up to intuition when you can't verbalize all of the analytical breakdown. And so I know, you know, we often go, oh, I just knew how to do this. I just knew. Well, we just know because there's been years of, you know, experience behind us. So for me, nine years of experience, I probably, um, I'm trying to honor that more through my language instead of just, oh, you know, I just on a whim or my gut told me or I saw it in a meditation, you know, there's that those are okay answers too. But I'm trying to also acknowledge, yeah, nine years of exploring this world has been pretty cool. I love that because we often hear about women's intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but you're right, there is an analytical rigor to it. There is a uh, whether it's just a series of experiences in the past that we quickly scan it, or a mm-hmm. feeling that we get and, and, and we're, we experience some, something that stimulates us or, or resonates with us in that way um, uh, and, and gives us a certain feeling of, of, of be cautious or no, this is the right path. It is all based on prior experiences. It's just the wonder of the, the human mind to be able to process all of that quickly. Yeah. 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 Let's talk more about your book. And I particularly want 
you to share the the lead up to it and and mm -hmm. and i think it was just when you shared that story with me I, I loved how you had to rely on your journalism chops in order to get to a certain result and i think that was brilliant it was there a particular story that you're referencing that i shared well, I think you were at a talk and you heard someone speak and you were trying to get access to them and it, it took a long time, but um, you eventually uh, were able to connect with them. I, I wish I remembered the person's name. I'm sorry, it's escaping me. Oh man, I can't remember this. <laughs> I've always had this incredible skill of being able to find ways and connect to people because I feel like it's people when I help people, but I'm never nervous about tracking people down and emailing them. I'm curious. Oh, that's right. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yes, I can, I can start this story now. I know what you're talking about. Okay. So I have, this story is a little bit hippy dippy and also a bit more grounded, but I'll start with the hippie side. So I have a shaman in Bali, which is a very Bali thing to say. Uh, and this really beautiful man, I've seen him for about four or five years, uh, every, every six months or so. And he doesn't give me universal premonitions. He just shares and asks me questions and reflects things back to me. And one time I saw him, he said, Ashley, you're going to write a book by the time you're 33. And our agreement was that he would never tell me things like that. I didn't want to know. I was like, okay, thanks for letting me know, Goose. I'll, I'll work on it. Anyway, I, I turned 33 in November. And at this point, I started to panic a little bit, thinking, oh my goodness, I haven't written this book my shaman's gonna be so disappointed in me. And so I started, and and I'm obviously, I'm being facetious, but I have wanted to write a book for a long time and get back to writing and get back to this um, creative expression just through writing, I missed it so much. So I was starting to collect books that inspired me and I was reading a book, um, I was reading the acknowledgements and this woman said, thank you to so-and-so for helping me to bring this book to life. I couldn't have done it without you. I thought, okay, I need to meet this woman. And so I found her and I sent her numerous emails and she's now working with me. I call her my fairy god book mother. She is incredible. She's a literary agent, much more professional sounding. Uh, but she has worked with um, different leaders, you know, Marianne Williamson, for example, in getting their books published. So she used to work at Harper Lee Books and is just an incredible gem. So I meet with her every week and she just helps me to understand that I do have a story in me to get out because it's it's funny the the book is about being enough and our limiting beliefs and about not feeling like we are enough and I remember in one of our first meetings I said you know I just don't know if I'm good enough to write this book <laughs> it's like really hope you understand the irony <laughs> in what you're sharing. I'm like, well, it's, it's honest and it's real and I'm sure I'm still gonna feel it throughout the writing process. Um, but hopefully that just humanizes me a little bit more in the reality of writing the book. And uh, it's been such an interesting and beautiful experience to have someone help massage an idea out and pull it out with kindness and love and just absolute compassion. It's such a beautiful, the whole experience has been so cool and I, I miss writing and I've had a few writing experiences, one in particular where I got off a call with her and I started writing and I just started crying and it just started flowing out. It almost felt like I wasn't even writing. I got up and I had to shake my body, come back and started laughing and typing again. And it's been 
that'd be cool if that was every day. That was not every day, but I've had some really cool experiences and some very enlightening experiences and humbling experiences in writing the whole, it definitely runs the gamut of emotions in, in trying to express myself in writing. It's very personal. It's not like interviewing somebody and telling their story. This is a pretty vulnerable position. So, but I'm enjoying it. That's fantastic. Really do appreciate that. That was really great. I think it was, yeah. it's going to resonate with a lot of people. That was really wonderful. Yeah. Um, Ashley, what has been uh, a low point for you? Mm. Like this year or in the past nine years? Just any time. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, up to 33 and a half years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, I, I actually, on that theme of, of enoughness or being enough, I would say probably the biggest barrier that I had in the first few years of entrepreneurship was feeling, um, who am I to run this business? And I had a lot of blocks, which is probably why the book topic is what it is, but just a lot of self-doubt, like crippling, crippling self-doubt. This does not sound, oh, you didn't believe in yourself. No, it was to a point where I that in that deep seated imposter syndrome of like, Oh, if only they knew I'm like some 25 year old white girl answering emails at one in the morning and not this very experienced shaman living in Nepal. Like not that I portrayed myself to be that, but there was something where I felt like such a phony uh, representing this business and spirituality when I was searching for the answers as well. So I was in that place of, I am teaching what I'm seeking. And I, I've never, never pretended to be uh, a teacher or a leader. I will always just reshare what I've learned, and I've and I've come to terms with that now. But I felt just a deep sense of fear that I wasn't good enough to be running this business, and thought, God, maybe somebody else will just want to come in and take this over. And there was a lot of moments where I resisted this business and tried to get out of it, and it got stronger. And that was weird, that was so weird to me to think. Um, man, maybe this business is really special and it's, it is way bigger than me. And, and that's a pretty humbling feeling to know, actually Mala Collective is so much bigger than me and I just get to be the person that helps it along right now. And that's shifted, shifted for me. But there was one meditation that I, um, I did and it said, just, you just get over yourself because your fear, this self-limiting belief is robbing so many people a positive experience it's actually incredibly self-indulgent of you to play in this space of smallness and rob all of these people and not in a way of ego if those people you know if mala hadn't existed they would have found their experience somewhere else if they were seeking it uh, but maybe i should you know get over myself and provide that for people um and that was a really interesting it wasn't like a mean voice it was just a let's acknowledge the fear and now let's move on because I was indulging in the fear for so long, at least a couple of years. Um, so it was very overwhelming. Uh, and now I feel, I still get those moments of self-doubt and unknown, but I can talk myself out of it much faster or I can recognize it and snap out of it much, much quicker. And a lot of that, a lot of those tools that I use are actually what I'm writing about. So how do we break that cycle a little bit faster? It's, it's not realistic to never think that ever again. I don't think personally, 
there's always going to be a lack feeling in some area, whether it's I'm not smart enough, pretty enough, thin enough, or abundant enough, or a good enough parent or good enough partner. It's always, there's always going to be some story. And I'm trying to figure out with my experiences and the trainings that I've taken around the world and people I've talked to, how do you close that loop a little bit kinder and a little bit quicker? That's fantastic. What a great topic to touch upon. And, and hopefully um, all those experiences you've had or the, the data you've collected of your own experience has gotten you past that. And it, it clearly has. And uh, I just love that you so. now <laughs> want to impart that wisdom to, to others that uh, that sharing side of you, that generosity is um, really amazing. It's also very terrifying. There is something to be said of, I'm very used to being the journalist telling somebody else's story. <laughs> right. This is a very um, exposing experience. Yeah. And I'm coming to terms with it through the entire process of writing. Amazing. So it is, it is overwhelming. I've... Um, I'm learning about myself still every every day and it's still very uncomfortable but that's why I'm doing it is because it scares me and I know it's probably the next thing I should be doing or should the big word the next journey that I want to dive into. Uh, I love that that's so great. Asha I can't thank you enough this was so exquisite so such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.